Welcome back everyone to Leading in a Climate Changed World from Olivia Mythodrama. Simon here, I hope everyone is well and safe. Um, we've returned with a few episodes exploring leadership during the current COVID-19 outbreak and the impact that it's had on the climate crisis discussions, as well as a more general look at leadership during these current climate change times. In our first episode back, we speak to Richard Olivier, the boss, uh, artistic director of Olivier Mythodrama and co-founder of Archetypes at Work. We find out how Richard began his journey into archetypal psychology and its relevance to leadership and personal development. Richard introduces us to the 10 archetypes that leaders need to develop within themselves to be able to take on the many and varied challenges that we are all facing in the world of business and outside in our lives, particularly during the current situation we're all facing here in 2020. Robin and Richard discuss the climate crisis and what we need to do to leave the old story behind and build a new sustainable way of living. They talk about how the, an understanding of the archetypes might support us with the twin challenges of the climate crisis and to steer us through the pandemic, laying the foundations for the new trials we'll face with a depleted and fractured economy. Richard talks about how to activate and rehearse into the archetypes we need to become more complete leaders and what we need to do to ensure we don't return to the old structures which were harmful and unjustifiable to society and the planet. We invite you to watch the interview on our YouTube channel as well. Just search for Olivia Mythodrama and you'll see the archetypes in action. And we'll also make some resources available for you on the leadinginaclimatechangeworld.com website on the homepage, including a self-assessment and a downloadable guide to the gifts of the archetypes, as well as links to more reading and more information. We hope you enjoy this episode and we will release more interviews, the ones that you know and love with people involved in the climate crisis and and what they're doing. And we'll also look to release a few more related leadership development discussions as well, not necessarily related uh, to the climate crisis, but into leadership and how to uh, access uh, different areas of development for yourselves. So once again, welcome back. And don't forget to share the podcast with anyone you think might enjoy it. Don't forget you can get in touch with me on hello at leadinginaclimatechangedworld.com. So welcome everybody to our podcast series, Leading in a Climate Changed World. Today it is a great pleasure to be talking with Richard Olivier. And Richard, of course, is the founding voice within Mythodrama a new form of experiential learning which combines great stories with psychological insights, creative exercises, and organizational development techniques in order to explore issues faced by modern leaders. Richard has worked extensively in the fields of organizational and personal development, and his work has been at the leading edge of bringing the world of theater into the development of authentic leaders for over 20 years. He has recently founded the Leadership Lab to resource the transition to a life-affirming culture. And with Lawrence Hillman, he is the co-founder of Archetypes at Work, a new frame and method of experiential transformational learning. Before all this, Richard was a leading theater director for over 10 years. He directed Henry V for the opening of Shakespeare's Globe Theater in London in 1997. And from 1998 to 2003, he was the master of mythodrama at Shakespeare's Globe Theater. 
Richard is a fellow of the Finthorn Foundation and an associate fellow of Said Business School with the University of Oxford. And lastly, he is the author of Inspirational Leadership, Henry V and the Muse of Fire, and co-author of the recently published Archetypes at Work, Evolving Your Story, One Character at a Time. So Richard, welcome, great to talk to you today. Thank you, lovely to be here. So maybe you could start by simply talking to us about what is an archetype and why have you felt drawn to work increasingly with archetypal psychology in your field of leadership development? Sure, well, one of my uh, big mentors was the founder of archetypal psychology, James Hillman. Um, and I came across archetypal psychology at a time in my life when I was really looking for new creative impulses, new ways of exploring uh, theater and experiential learning. And that was in the early 1990s. And the notion of images and kind of primal forms of being, what we might call them internal dynamics that exist in systems, in human beings. Um, archetypes are, seem to be primary um, and we can recognize them in, in many cultures and in many individuals and in many ways. Um, and once I, I, I got the sense and then worked on developing the ability to, to see the world with an archetypal eye to begin to uh, tune into what archetypal patterns are emerging in me, in others, in my work, in, in others working situations. I, I found it was a, an amazingly useful tool and a frame um, uh, to begin to discern what I wanted to do, what I didn't want to do, what was appropriate and what I wasn't. Um, so that was the kind of first little piece um, that I, I worked on. Uh, and then bringing the, the Shakespeare work into leadership development, we found, um, as you might expect with a, a great artist, archetypal patterns just uh, bursting through the scenes of all the Shakespeare plays we were working with and many other myths that, that we experimented with along the way. And it seemed to be a fairly complete set of ideas about how life works on the planet. Um, in the last five years, um, with my friend Lawrence Hillman, who's actually James Hillman's son, um, we have found a way to bring that now into leadership development using this frame almost as a code uh, for, for reading human and systems behavior, and definitely as a really helpful tool to help transitions uh, and to transform individual and systemic behavior. Great, and I know that we work, you and I work together on these things sometimes, with a palette of 10 archetypes. Maybe you could just kind of talk us through what, what the different archetypal styles in leadership are that are available to us. Sure. Well, we, we, we kind of break down really five realms uh, and then each of the realms has, has two archetypes associated with it. So we call it the, the realm of order, which is essentially how we organize things. Um, the realm of relationship, how we relate to people. 
the realm of creativity, how we innovate, the realm of change, how we manage transitions, and the realm of action, which is how we get things done. And within the, the realm of order, um, we have two archetypes we call the sovereign and the strategist. The sovereign is in charge of vision and purpose. Um, the sovereign is um, when we can inhabit the sovereign, we are comfortable being center stage and being visible. Um, and that obviously in terms of leadership, aligning people around a vision can be a really important archetype. Equally important, we would argue, is the structure, the strategy, which comes with the strategist, um, having mastery over the step-by-step -step roadmap of how you're going to achieve the vision. Um, and the strategist might be quite comfortable kind of sitting in a back room, you know, doing the numbers. They wouldn't necessarily need or wish to be center stage like the sovereign. So two quite different styles of ordering things, first through vision and, and the second through or, or more structure. In the place of relationship, we have the nurturer and the lover. And the nurturer uh, relates with care and empathy, and they are often quite developmental, or if you like, kind of parental in their approach. So giving someone else a hand up, helping someone else, holding someone else through a difficult time. Whereas the lover would be more activated through desire and beauty. And the lover would look for the value of a mutual relationship about building social capital uh, and creating appropriate intimacy and interconnection uh, between individuals and groups. In the realm of creativity, uh, we have the dreamer and the storyteller. The dreamer is the one who is charged up with imagination and inspiration. They are, are seeing the emerging threads of the future through the fog of everything that's there. Uh, and, and they are a source of great creativity. A lot of artists, their muse uh, might be related to the dreamer realm. Whereas the storyteller is kind of more about cognitive coherence about synthesis and communication. So the storyteller's way of being creative is often about joining the dots together, joining threads, perhaps from uh, initially opposing ideas like leadership and Shakespeare, whatever that might be, uh, and then uh, cohering that into a compelling narrative that others can see and follow. In change, we have the renegade and the transformer. The renegade does change fast. The renegade is willing to break the old rules for the right reasons. They are not going to be bound by the old structures and like a lightning rod, they will shake up uh, the, the world or an industry overnight as uh, Uber and Airbnb did and as we are living through a time of great uh, shake up with the coronavirus right now. The transformer tends to do change more slowly. Uh, the more kind of old tradition of, of shamanic healing, uh, big questions being asked, what needs to die? What could be reborn around here? The notion of regeneration, mystery, the phoenix rising from the ashes, which is also, I imagine, a, an archetype that will be uh, attracting a lot of people at this particular time that we're in right now. 
And then uh, last but not least in the realm of action, we have the warrior and the explorer. The warrior about challenge and defense, asserting oneself in pursuit of a clearly directed goal, wanting a target, wanting to hit the target, uh, the urge to compete and win. Whereas the explorer is more about adventure and truth. So the explorer is on a quest in their realm of action and they are seeking new fields, new pastures, new landscapes uh, to be in. And inner landscapes as well. So the explorer might climb that mountain because it's there, or they might read uh, some very intellectually bound philosophical ideas to try and get a deeper sense of the inner territory of what is the truth uh, about life or existence. Yeah, what a fantastically rich palette of possibilities. And my understanding, and maybe we could just do a little bit more on the kind of theory of how these work and then talk a bit about how to apply this way of seeing the world, the archetypal eye as you, as you framed it to the situation that we encounter at the moment. But my understanding is that we all have all of these, but some of them are more activated in us than other parts. Maybe you could just speak a bit about how you work with this as a leadership profile or even as an organizational profile. Sure. Well, there are two big images that we, we use to introduce this to people for the first time. Uh, the one comes from our uh, theater background. The notion of these being 10 actors on your inner stage. And over the course of a life experience, a mixture of nature, you know, how you were born and nurture, how you were brought up, um, how your first working experiences were, you will learn to prioritize using some over others. And we, we tend to say with people as a general rule of thumb, that at any one time you are likely to have three leading actors who are kind of running your show, who are uh, guiding you to make decisions in a certain way and are closer to being center stage for you, then you will probably have five supporting actors. These are archetypes that you can get in touch with when you need them, you've developed some kind of competency in, you may not love them, but you can do them and you can kind of bring them further center stage when it's obvious to you that their influence could help. But almost all of us have a couple who are more offstage characters, sometimes even kind of lurking in the wings. Some of them may not even have got their costumes on yet. Uh, a couple of characters who, for whatever reason, we have pushed away or not seen as being useful or necessary for us. So, so this notion of the, the, the 10 actors, we find as a very helpful way to uh, introduce the notion of uh, how the archetypes operate with, of course, the, the understanding that when you are in a time of transformation, of transition, of change, of development, then it may be true that your existing archetypal pattern, your three or more current leading actors, are not the right actors to lead the next scene in your life. And that actually doing a little bit of conscious recalibration uh, to perhaps stand down one of the current leading actors and perhaps bring in one of the more offstage actors is likely to give you a fresh view, a new energy, literally inspiration, inspirari, breathing in a new energy pattern uh, that can set your thinking in a refreshed or renewed direction.
So that would be the, the, the one that we use mainly. And then for others who are perhaps more in a, in a, in a leadership framework mindset, uh, we use the notion of an uh, internal board of directors. That if, if you are the chairman of the board, you have 10 advisors sitting around your table, but inevitably, uh, uh, you've worked with boards, I know Robin, so have I, uh, the chairman uh, listens to some board members a lot, some occasionally, and there are usually a couple down the end of the table who very rarely get a look in. So the, the same metaphor would apply. Great. Well, I think that gives us a good grounding <clears throat> for the next part of our conversation, which is really to ask you to talk about how this understanding might support our capacity to face at least the twin challenges of the climate emergency and now, of course, the coronavirus. So if we were to apply an archetypal eye to these, what do you see? Does it give us any, any information about why these things might be occurring, but also kind of what, what archetypes in leadership do we need now to pilot ourselves through these challenges? I think the first thing I would say is that there is very unlikely to be a, a single answer that will suit a large number of people. I think probably the best thing for leaders to do right now is to be able to activate all 10 and to notice um, in this ever-changing situation that we are in which one is needed today like when we sat down with our leadership team two months ago we kind of consciously said okay you know, we, we recognize in our organization, there's a lot of dreamer energy, there's a lot of explorer, storyteller, you know, a transformer, sovereign would often be a number of archetypes that uh, our colleagues would recognize um, as being a big part of their leading actor makeup. But in that moment, we, we decided that we needed to act as nurturing strategists. So just when everything was kicking off, we needed to uh, be careful, we need to look after people, we needed to communicate clearly with people, we needed to set up calls uh, to understand where people were and to listen and hopefully demonstrate empathy for the number of different needs that were going on uh, uh, around the team and the company. And then with the, the strategist hat on, we needed a structure. We, we needed a, a, a roadmap to start online delivery, uh, to ramp up all the e-learning work we've been uh, investigating for the last six months and begin to accelerate that. So, so stepping out of what might be our normal comfort zone and consciously embracing a new. And that was probably necessary for a month. Um, and then other archetypes have taken over. And um, so the, the thing that I would argue for right now is agility. Is that leaders need to be able to recognize whether they use our archetypal frame or other frames of you know, dividing human activity in, into different sections. What is required of me now, as opposed to you know, what is my knee-jerk reaction? And, and being able to embody and absorb uh, the archetypal wisdom that we believe is, is kind of buried in um, these archetypes and the patterns that they bring with them allows us to develop a responsive way of being in a very fast-moving situation rather than a reactive one. 
So that's just ge generally as a, as a, as a leadership um, offering, uh, uh, agility and the capacity to respond uh, according to the needs of the situation. But on a, a, a bigger archetypal level, you know, behind uh, that multiplicity and the, that required flexibility, there is something that we can notice going on in, in the world that we might call deconstruction. And deconstruction happens when archetypally the strategist and the transformer meet. So the, the archetype of death and rebirth meets the archetype of structure and, and the current way of doing things, the norms, the rules, and disintegrates the old structure. And I think if, if you were to ask most leaders in the world right now, do they recognize that there is deconstruction happening? Um, I can't imagine anyone would say they don't recognize that. And that means really two things. The first is learning a little bit about how to surrender to the transformer. Um, because unlike the renegade who might have a very clear idea of the change that they're wanting to manifest as quickly as possible, the transformer is going to have an incubation period between the sense of what's dying and what's being reborn. And I think encouraging people and leaders being able to em embrace the transformer archetype in this time on, on, on a systemic level, I would argue is gonna be really important. Uh, and, and knowing that there is renovation possible is the positive side of when the transformer meets the strategist. Um, the strategist comes back in with a new structure that, that then serves uh, the next scene in the story, the next uh, act in the play, um, the next project cycle or whatever that might be, uh, that, that then becomes more of the upward turn. But the transformer will definitely hold us in what Otto Sharma, what I think we'll call the bottom of the U in, in the tough times. Yeah, that's great. And I, I'm also curious now about which archetypes we might want to access more in order to ensure that what we build isn't simply a reconstruction of what we used to have and we kind of go back to some kind of normal that was actually not really functional. Like one of the people I've been talking to recently said, it's not so much that we're in a crisis now, it's just that, the, that what's happening now has shown us the crisis we've been in for a long, long time. So we don't want to rebuild what wasn't functional before. And I'm wondering which archetypes we might want to bring more center stage to really build a new sustainable way of living. Well, on that, you know, even bigger picture perspective, almost like, you know, an epoch, um, particularly with the, the climate change uh, agenda that we have um, in our company and on these podcasts and many people are finally beginning to take more seriously. We have been on a sort of archetypal pattern course for the 300 years at least um, that would be operating in primarily what we might call masculine archetypes. Um, uh, and that uh, all archetypes have, have you know, can be uh, accessed by all men and women on the planet. All of them can be exhibited in a slightly more masculine or a slightly more feminine style in some of the, you know, the more ongoing work that we do. But you could say that the 
strategist, the sovereign, the explorer, and the warrior have really been running the show um, in terms of global business, uh, leadership, institutional awareness for the last 300 years at least. So it's been about order and action, you know, getting things done, creating new structures, getting more things done. And what has often been ignored uh, uh, have been then the bottom six archetypes, um, looking at the wheel that, that we will put up on, on the website for people if they want to see all 10 together. But the nurturer, the lover, the dreamer, the storyteller, the renegade and the transformer are, I believe, now uh, desperately needed as, a, as a, a, a whole set of potentially more feminine archetypes, uh, potentially more um, archetypes who are able to surrender the old and reimagine uh, the new, uh, a different new, a new story, not business as usual. Um, but something else. Uh, uh, and the nurturer and the lover will help hold people as they go through the transition. You know, the transformer and the renegade will help form the change. Uh, and then the dreamer and the storyteller will be those really looking for what are the possibilities that are emerging in the future right now and what is... Uh, uh, a more sustainable narrative that we can create the other side of it. And where would you say this is happening? Like in, in the work that you're currently doing with, with leaders and organizations, would you be able to name or where do you see on the planet leadership at any level, government level, political level, corporate level, NGO level, civil society level at any space, where would you say are the leaders or the organizations or the cultures? that are really embracing what you described as these more feminine archetypes that, that, that can help to birth a more sustainable culture or life-affirming culture, as you call it. Sorry. I think at the moment they are more at the edges and in, in the fringes um, coming in uh, from the side. I think the, the big organizations that are kind of at the center of the old story uh, have less access to it, partly because I think they're blinkered, partly because, um, as we're all aware right now, you know, shareholder pressure um, is a, a, a real thing, even though we might not want it to be. And um, those big organizations are not incentivized um, currently in, in the current capitalist financial system to uh, renovate for the good of the planet. Um, and that's a tragedy. Uh, if there were any possible uh, positive outcome of, of the, the current situation, it would be that more people become incentivized. Perhaps, you know, the system uh, as we know it cannot sustain itself uh, through the next five years. And, and there are more radical innovations. Uh, I, I, I heard someone uh, commentated the other day saying most companies around the world right now uh, are in the next year are going to do five years innovation in 12 months. So, so there's, a, there's a possibility for quicker, more radical change. And there is an equal possibility that the old narrative comes back the old shareholder pressure, you know, the, what happened in the financial crisis of, um, 
sort of privatizing the profit and, and, and nationalizing the debt, you know, reasserts itself. But if there is one thing that, that I've been learning uh, the last few months, it's that whatever we did in the financial crisis didn't work. Um, so, I mean, I'm talking big picture because it's very difficult right now, I think, to point to individuals. I, I've listened to all the, the, the podcasts and I know there are a, um, what we might call a, a set of usual suspects uh, who I could name. Uh, um, but in terms of where might we find it in ways who, who, uh, that we're not, uh, in people we're not familiar with, I would invite people to kind of look to the edges. Uh, I think it's much more likely to be happening in startups than in multinational companies, much more likely to be happening in NGOs and th third sector than it is in, in, in government, central government structures. So it, it's there, you know, I, I, I feel it. I'm in touch with, 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 with a lot of it. We're, we're gonna be doing some of this archetype work with the Global Eco Village Network that I know you've worked with before. And, you know, the, the places and, and enabling systems that allow people to go into the archetypes that have been lesser used in the last 300 years in business, in leadership, in industry, are where I think we're going to see the results. Uh, and then, you know, there is a possibility that the giant corporations uh, uh, will collapse, that the, their mega structures will be unsupportable in, in the, the new, whatever the new normal is um, that emerges in, in a year or one to five years. Um, and, and therefore, some of that greater, innovative, more radically transformative uh, capacity begins to in, infiltrate the bigger systems. But, but right now, I, I see a, uh, an upcoming struggle of the two narratives. Business as usual at all costs, you know, up the pollution, up the oil, because we've got to save the banks. And this is completely unsustainable. This is a sign human beings are living an unsustainable life. The way we're treating animals, the way we're manufacturing vaccines in, in laboratories, whatever uh, uh, other uh, notions may have led to this um, current crisis, we are much more likely to get more of them in the future than less. Uh, and, and those who are prepared for that are, are likely to be those who are able to survive, um, let alone thrive right now. Right, and it's interesting that you talk about the new normal, and I wonder if we could just explore that for a moment, because I was reading an article not so long ago by Thomas Friedman, and he said, you know, people are looking at the coronavirus like a black swan, like an unusual occurrence that compels attention. But actually, what we're really talking about is the phenomenon of the, the black elephant. So the elephant in the room that nobody talks about, the black elephant, is even more noticeable. And he said, it's not so much that we have a black swan, we have a a herd of stampeding black elephants that we've been having for a long time, you know, with, with loss of biodiversity, with the climate change, with ocean acidification, with increasing income inequality, with acts of terrorism, with like many things are happening. And my sense is that when we look forward, the new normal is that there is no normal. The new normal is, as you say, about agility and movement and flexibility and responsiveness. And I guess 
I guess what you're saying to that is, therefore, we need to have the agility to move around these 10 archetypes as fluidly, as quickly as we can to keep meeting very radically shifting circumstances that feel like that's the new normal. Is that what your, your thesis is in a way? Yes, yes, absolutely. It, it, it is that um, any one pattern is unlikely to serve us for an extended period of time right now in the future that, that, that we are, are leaning into. And the fact that the, the coronavirus is then going to, you know, be followed by uh, uh, probably uh, the biggest global depression financially that has ever been in, in, in the world. Um, already uh, uh, many uh, ideas that it will completely outstrip, you know, the 1930s, uh, 1929 stock market crash and the American depression. Um, the, global, the globally connected uh, business world that we have right now is, is, is going to enter a time of, of deep collapse, depression, change. And what comes out of it um, is, is, I think, pretty much unknown at this point. But, but certain trends we can probably predict. Yeah. And where, where would something like hope sit on this archetypal wheel? As you know from listening to all the podcasts, mm -hmm. I often ask people a question about you know, hope and denial, like the science seems to tell us that you know, it's really too late, but if we want to have active hope to kind of build what we can, where do, where do qualities like hope, denial, fear, how do, you, how do you overlay those onto the archetypal wheel? On, on one level, all, all emotions are available to all the archetypes. You know, there aren't really any, any archetypes who claim uh, uh, particular emotions to themselves. But there are archetypes that uh, are more likely to exhibit hope. Uh, and the explorer is one of those. The explorer tends to have a lot of optimism. Uh, coming with that archetypal territory, you know the the fact that I'm I'm leaving the the lovely green field that I'm in and I'm walking to that territory I've never been to before. There's a kind of optimism in 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 that that I will be fed, I will you know meet interesting people, I will be safe along the way. The the dreamer can also be very optimistic. Often the dreamer is intuiting, you know, the better worlds, the, the emerging possibilities that can bring uh, health, uh, sustainable living, uh, happiness in different ways. And, and the, the lover uh, on a good day is, is optimistic. So the, 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 the lover, if things are connecting well for them, Will will often feel that the world is a place full of joy, and they may not, not may not be exhibiting active hope so much. But when other people interact with them, they they will leave feeling better and probably more hopeful about themselves. So that would be a, a, a tiny little go at it. But that's interesting. So those might be some of the archetypes that businesses or in, individuals might also want to activate more if they're starting to feel a bit ground down by this herd of stampeding black elephants that seem to be coming yeah. one after another after another we might want to look at the explorer and the lover and the dreamer as as archetypes to activate a bit more 
Yes, certainly. In in terms of you know pure hope and optimism, those three I think would be would be valuable. But I would probably you know come back to the transformer. Hopefully not just because it's one of my favourites, but because we are in such a time of of death and rebirth, and and the transformer probably it, it is more about trust rather than hope. So when we are in the process of burying and, and letting go and grieving for the old, it's quite hard to be optimistic. Uh, and, and, and some oh, people might want to go to optimism to avoid the grief or, or the mourning or the letting go. And I think the transformer would counsel one step at a time. You know, when you're in grief, be in grief. You know, don't, don't, don't rush to activity or, or naive hope for a future that may not return. Uh, be with it, sit with it. Um, do your mourning for the old that will not return. And then trust that, that something will come in, in its own right timing that will hopefully, yeah have have more uh, life and rebirth potential to it right so the transformer supports what we might call the descent like sometimes we need to kind of descend a little bit into the darkness into into the grief and then we rise from that place absolutely and the nurturer i think would also support that so the, the nurturer and the transformer you know to hold ourselves uh, and to hold others in in times of grieving and loss on the way to hopeful rebirth. Right, so just towards the end of our time, I, I want to have a couple, of, a couple of other questions. One is that I've heard some people say that, that this, you talked about the epoch before, like the last 300 years being predominantly a masculine paradigm. And I've heard people talk about the, the epoch that we're moving into as a time archetypally of the renegade sovereign. And I wonder if you could speak a bit about that and how you see that. And then the last question would be if you could talk with us a bit about how you recalibrate you said at the beginning people might notice that oh these archetypal styles i've been using are not the right ones anymore how do we activate the ones that are in the wings or maybe haven't even got the costume on yet how do we bring them onto the stage great so yes in 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 terms of um, the archetypal perspective if we're looking at what some people would call the aquarian age the, the age that we're moving into is likely to be one in which the sovereign and the renegade are in a place of tension before they get to any resolution. So the, the sovereign would be in leadership, uh, top down, I'm the boss, pyramid uh, orientated leadership and structures. And um, you can see how in times of stress and trouble, um, the, uh, the one knee-jerk reaction is to elect a populist leader who says, I've got all the answers, leave it to me, I can fix it. Um, and on the other hand, what we're seeing is the emergence of the many, of the network, of the informal structure which the renegade represents. Think of the World Wide Web, think of Airbnb, think of Uber. These are networks of, of related interest. They are not pyramids of power with a sovereign sitting at the top. So right now, you know, if you look around the planet, I could, could name um, 
you know, three people who, who are called renegades, uh, Donald Trump, Elon Musk, uh, and Greta. And, uh, you know, uh, Trump prides himself on breaking the rules, doing things that other people don't do, obviously from our perspective, not always uh, with wise leadership. Um, you know, Elon Musk, uh, I uh, love his technology, but he can also have a, a bad Twitter finger on a bad day and cause huge shock and discomfort and, and this stuff. And, you know, what we would call the shadow of the renegade is that they can be uncaring and, and, and they don't actually um, take responsibility for the damage they cause. And I think probably with both, you know, the, the political and the business leaders in my examples, we, we can notice people who don't take responsibility and seem to be uncaring. So th that idea of, of radical new stuff, breaking the, the old down, I think we're gonna see a lot more of that and then you're going to see the tendency to reassert the heroic leadership. Let's just find a, you know, a, a safe pair of hands who's going to make it all, all well again. I, I, we're going to be in a big um, oscillation pattern, I think, between those two uh, for, for a very long time. Um, but they are two of the likely archetypal uh, defining archetypes of the age. And must they always be in tension or can you have the renegade who's turning over the tables and breaking the rules allied to a sense of purpose and vision, which is what the sovereign also brings so that we have the kind of high dream of a of kind of radical service led purpose inspired leader. Is that also a possibility at this time? It, it is. And, and as Hamlet would say, it's a, a consummation devoutly to be wished um, that that is um, the end game. Um, in the way that the last epoch, which again the archetypal astrologers would call the Age of Pisces, was defined by science and religion with the two sort of archetypes. And you can see as we enter the new epoch that there's a lot of, of people who are now making links between religion and science, whether it's Einstein or Carl Jung or evolutionary biologists. They're, they're, they seem to be coming towards synthesis and the big new pattern uh, of archetypal distress and then potential uh, redemption, renovation, uh, consummation of, of the two becoming one or the two creating a third that is greater than the sum of its parts. So, you know, our hope and one of the programs uh, I'm going to be developing over the next few years will be on the renegade sovereign and the sovereign renegade. How, how to bring those two together feels like a, a, a good response uh, to the time that we're likely to be in. Yeah, fantastic. And maybe that's a good segue into the closing question, which is, to leave us with a sense about how we can activate those archetypes that are less familiar and less known to us. What are the kind of practices? How do we do that? Well, the first step is really awareness, being aware of, of, of what your likely archetypal patterns are and what they are. And there, there is a little questionnaire for people who are interested on the, the Olivier Mythodrama 
website. You can check that out. Obviously, Lawrence and I have written a, a, a book about it. We're doing more and more online uh, learning about it and offering webinars uh, to individuals as well as companies right now. So, but and there are lots of other you know uh, archetypal frames out there that people can use to get an idea of of what the archetypal patterns in them might be. So awareness is is key and is the first. Um, and then noticing really is is the pattern that I am in right now future fit we call it you know is it is it serving my life my purpose does it feel on alignment if it is it may be perfect you know again I imagine almost everyone on the planet is going to have to be dancing between a few um, for for the next while uh, but there may be a kind of core pattern that you've got that actually is 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 in service um, you know if you're making medical equipment right now and you are a, a, a dreamer strategist inventing new technology that's gonna be made for quicker respirators you're probably right on track for, for the next while um, but others will notice that the the times are calling them to stretch in different ways and then you need to rehearse you need to find times. I mean, the, the, on the very simple level, give you a simple example. If I need to activate my warrior, I can do a workout. I can go to the gym. You know, I could take a boxing class. There would be things that would bring the archetypal energy in. So using the theatrical notion, we, we talk about the need to rehearse uh, the new archetypes and learn it a little bit of both from the outside in. You can also very simply reflect because all of these patterns are available inside of us, inevitably in the course of a life, you will have dropped into all of them. Um, some you'll prefer, some you won't, but, but you will have the capacity. So remembering a time. So for me, the strategist is one of my lesser used. Um, but when I need to bring the strategist online, um, for an emergency leadership meeting, whatever it might be, I can remember a time when I was using the strategist and it was serving me. And I can kind of bring myself, we call it from the inside out, into uh, a more strategic mindset. Fantastic. I think it's super exciting. Thank you very much for sharing your wisdom and experience around this with us today. And yeah, I just wish you every success. And of course, I'm part of the company with you. So I look forward to journeying with you on some of these uh, exciting adventures around the archetypal wheel. And I just wonder if there's a last met, like I want, I want to, I want to, you're a great believer in using active imagination. I want to invite you to imagine that you're at the COP26 meeting the next meeting of the climate change un convention which is, was going to be in glasgow and in, in november now it's been postponed indefinitely it'll be sometime next year probably in the uk somewhere if you had like two minutes to speak to the world's leaders at the climate change conference the conference of the parties the 26th gathering next year what might you say to them around this archetypal wisdom that you bring I would say if, if you look back at history, you would notice that many of the times of great transition and great flowering of humanity were happening at a time when archetypal wisdom was being consciously activated in the world. Uh, and I think of the flowering of, of, of the Roman 
age, the Greek age, and the Renaissance age as the, the three that I've studied the most closely. And, and it does seem to be that when societies, groups, and individuals are more in touch with archetypal energies and patterns, they are able to transition or to develop themselves more quickly. So as a, as a tool for personal, professional, and cultural evolution, accessing archetypal wisdom is a really good tool to, to have in your toolkit. Fantastic. And as you've said, you've also written a book about it. So there's many opportunities for people to research that too. Thank you so much, Richard. It's been great to spend this time with you and wishing you every success going forwards. And it's kind of going forwards and going backwards. We're kind of, you're mining the archetypal wisdom of thousands of years and bringing it forward into leadership development, organizational development, community development at this time. And thank you so much and go well. Thank you. And thank you for all your work on these wonderful podcasts.